0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. I'm in the southwest quadrant of New Mexico. I'm up in the mountains near Rio Doce. A little town called Mescalero where I'm speaking at the annual meeting of the Arizona New Mexico Telephone Association. This is really beautiful country and it's unusually beautiful because yesterday morning, about half an hour from here, I woke up very early in the morning, about 4.30, drove over to White Sands, you know the desert, and photographed there for about four or five hours. Beautiful place. But then I got in my car and I drove half an hour and now I'm high in the mountains. I'm up around seven or 8,000 feet, as you can tell from my labored breathing here, and it's gorgeous. These are steeply hilled forests, pines everywhere, incredibly good smell. And in fact, uh, the weather is kind of interesting. Just a couple of minutes ago, I was out walking, bright blue sky, And then all of a sudden, the sky clouded over, mountains came over, big shadows came over us, and uh, clouds came in, started to lightly rain, and then it started to heavily hail, little hailstones about the size of a pea. And of course, there's nothing to shelter me here other than a few spindly pine trees, which doesn't really help very much. But whatever, I survived it. I want to talk to you a little bit about the evolution of technology here. Kind of interesting, this morning I gave a talk to this association about changes in the technologies that are affecting the global telecommunications and IT industries, and I suppose I could also include um, the media industry in there as well. The last time I spoke to this group it was 2014, so about three years ago, and I talked to them about a collection of technologies that are beginning to shape the global telecom market today. And what I found really interesting, and what I told them was that, isn't it interesting that three years ago, the last time you had me in as a keynote speaker, the technologies that I'm going to talk about today did not exist. They hadn't really been thought of yet. They certainly weren't products or services, and no one had even a glimmer of how to monetize them. The technologies I'm talking about are big data and analytics and Internet of Things, what I call a very important technology triumvirate. These three technologies together are changing everything about how we deliver customer service, how we design and deploy networks, and in effect, how we compete. Now, a big part of it, of course, is cloud. Now, I could easily argue that cloud is not a new technology. I mean, after all, we're talking about a resource that's shared by lots of people securely and safely, which means that I could... With a great deal of certainty, argue to you that the global telephone network built in 1876, or at least invented in in 1876, is in fact the first cloud technology—a very large resource shared securely, providing a variety of services to a large number of people from a single resource. But that's a little bit of a digression. If you take a look at this uh, this Internet of Things and and big data and analytics ecosystem we find that it's making possible a whole new way to deliver quality of experience to customers i want you to just think for a second about the fact that all day long as humans living in society we do things we get up in the morning we put on our fitbit or our apple watch or more likely have them already on get out of bed maybe go for a run workout Go home, take a shower, get dressed. Maybe check email along the way. Hop in our cars. Drive to the local coffee shop to pick up a warm beverage for the morning. Drive on to work. Maybe stop off and buy something for lunch. Get to the office. We swipe in with our secure card keys. Once we've swiped in, we go to our desk. We start making phone calls. We surf the web. We remember that we forgot to order a birthday present. So we hop on the web and order the birthday present or at least search for variations of whatever it is we're going to buy and then ultimately we repeat the same thing we go home and so on all throughout the day we are in close proximity to a broad range of internet of things sensors the so-called things in the internet of things through our movements through our day-to-day activities we cause the creation of an enormous amount of data that gets spewed out into the atmosphere. Now that data, if we play our cards right, gets collected. It gets collected and then it gets transported over a broadband network. It might be wireless, of course it's initially wireless because all the sensors for the most part are wireless, but it makes its way into the network where it gets transported to a data center. In the data center it gets cataloged, meta-tagged, and stored, and then once it's stored, we're going to unleash a wide range of analytical tools on that data to determine what that data might tell us. We might take the data and analyze it in its own right. We might also take that data and turn it into a form of big data by mixing it with other often unrelated forms of data, which we then analyze using very sophisticated analytical tools to determine what we might learn about the person who generated the data. Sometimes it's not learning about an individual, sometimes it's learning about a number of people, a population. But whatever the case, we use these big data tools to analyze the data so that we can deliver a superior quality of experience to our customers. And isn't that what it's all about? I mean quality of service is an amazing thing. For years telephone companies have had very rigid measures of how well their network is performing. You know, they talk about, for example, the famous five nines of reliability, that is, that the network and all of its resources are available 99.999% of the time, which equates to a matter of minutes of downtime out of a full year. They also talk about things like the percentage of packets that are lost during transmission, the amount of delay in the transmitted signal, the amount of jitter, which is the variability of the delay in the transmitted signal, the mean time to repair a problem, the mean time between failures, a whole range of analytics that they use to determine the quality of the service that they're generating. But there's only one thing wrong with that set of measurements. Quality of service is an inwardly focused measure. In other words, it looks backwards. It looks at the switch. It looks at the network infrastructure. By the way, you're going to have to forgive the wind. Once the hail died down, the wind came out, and of course I'm in an incredibly good-smelling pine forest, so I'm benefiting from it, but unfortunately I can't transmit it through this podcast. Anyway, because it looks inward, it really doesn't give us any indication whatsoever of the experience the customer is having when they use the services that are delivered by the service provider. So these service providers have turned to a new measure, it's kind of an interesting measure, it's called quality of experience. It's very different from quality of service. Now let me be very clear, you can't have quality of experience if you don't have quality of service. In other words, if the network isn't performing up to speed, there's no way to deliver high-quality services to the customers that you serve, so you've got to have both. But the fact of the matter is that the customer really doesn't care about quality of service. Most of them aren't even aware of the inner workings of the network, so why should they care? What they care about is, was it good for me? Now, What I find really interesting about that is that relatively few companies out there have committed themselves to measuring and holding themselves up to a standard for quality of experience. In fact, I'm only aware of one. That company is a telephone company up in Canada. They're the second-largest phone company in Canada, called TELUS. And TELUS, a few years ago, decided that their single most important measure, the measure by which they, they do everything, is called L2R. It stands for Likelihood to Recommend. In other words, now that you've had the opportunity to experience the products and services and solutions that TELUS provides... How likely are you to recommend us to your friends or family, or more importantly perhaps your enterprise peers and colleagues? I can't think of a more frightening measure than that. Now obviously if you do it right, then you win. If you don't, then two things happen. You either win by correcting whatever it is that caused the number to go down, or you fade off into oblivion, which is what happens to too many people. So think about this triumvirate that we're talking about. All day long people do stuff, generating data. That data gets captured, stored, analyzed, and then acted upon. But unfortunately, this is where the whole model often falls apart. Man, we must really be at altitude here. I am breathing hard. Anyway, what ends up happening is that once the data is analyzed through these very sophisticated analytical tools, is generated by that analysis is essentially big insight. In other words, we're gonna convert big data into big insight. Well, that big insight is collected and then it's handed off to leadership. Because after all, it is leadership's jobs to guide the direction of the organization and to guide what it is that they expect the company to do and its employees to do for the customers they serve and of course to respond to any competitive threats that come along. But this is where it usually falls apart, as I said, because what often happens is the results of the analytics get handed to leadership. Leadership takes the carefully assembled data and puts it up on the shelf with all of the other insight that has been handed to them and no action is taken. And as a consequence, all of the work, all the effort, all the analytical goodness that came out of that work is not acted upon. There's a a great quote, I think the quote was from Peter Senge, although I'm not sure, but the quote says, intelligent people tend to espouse theories of action that have little to do with actual behavior. In other words, they say they're going to do one thing, and then in point of fact they continue to do exactly the same thing that they've always been doing, which of course means that nothing changes. So my question is this, what do we have to do to inspire leaders, to motivate leaders, to lead? After all, if you think about it, the job of a good leader is to create a vision of a more desirable future than the one we have today. To create a new status quo that is so powerful and compelling to everyone who encounters it, That all of those people look at it and want to be involved in making it happen. These are the people who say, what can I do to help you succeed here? Good leaders motivate that kind of behavior. Because if they don't, then what they're doing is they're creating an environment where the status quo is good enough. And we all know what happens to companies that are good enough. The companies that are good enough aren't and they rapidly disappear and become one more memory in the dustbin of failed company visions. This is Steve Shepard hiking in the beautiful high mountain forests, sadly next to a road that cars keep going by in the high New Mexico area around Rio Thank you very much for listening.